0: Hello and welcome back to who makes the ball talk gibberish. Uh, I am Harry, your host, obviously. Uh, so sorry about, uh, uh, lost my words there. Sorry about the hiatus, uh, last few weeks. Uh, it's been a bit hectic. We've uh, obviously had the international break. Uh, we recorded just before then. So that's the last episode. So we had the international break and then I've been in Barcelona. am not going to apologize for that. So anyway, uh, you know, having a good time on holiday. So yeah, sorry that it's been a few weeks. But uh, we're back with a a bit of a special episode this week because we're going to discuss, you know, issues around Man United and the uh, appointment of Eric Ten Hag, who uh, has been confirmed this week as new manager for next season. Um, So obviously to discuss that, I need some help with that because it's a big issue. So we've got Andrew back on the
1: podcast. So uh, hello, Andrew. Hello, Harry. How's it going? (laughs) Good, good. Uh, How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Looking forward to considering in detail Eric Ten Hag's expected um, to be next manager. Is it, I don't think it's been officially confirmed as of yet.
0: Well, I mean, it, 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 it's all but, isn't it? You know, I think yeah. that it, it, okay. it would be quite scandalous if it was somebody else. I mean, obviously, I think that the only way it would happen that it wasn't Ten Hag is if he walked away. You know, I don't think Man United are going to. Turn yeah. Oh, yeah it's not him so
1: the story the story is now that it's all it's about uh, dotting the i's and crossing the t's isn't it mm. basically right he's agreed to do it so hopefully it's a done deal i say hopefully i mean this is something we'll get onto in a bit whether yeah. whether ten hog is the guy who knows but well, well, we'll see. We'll by, we'll do go into that in a bit of more d- detail as we just as the discussion progresses.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and just to let everyone know that uh, you know I will be discussing uh, Premier League issues that we've missed because obviously we haven't done a show for a while. So I'll be discussing Premier League issues such as City versus Liverpool. Yep, that was great, wasn't it? Um, you know we'll be uh, discussing that next episode. So you know we'll, we'll catch up loads, so like a, m- a month's worth of Premier League. But today we're just going to focus. On Man United and what the future holds. So let's get into it then. So, you know, where, did you want to start with a specific topic in mind?
1: Well, yeah, I thought it would be useful for those listeners who potentially don't know all that much about Eric Ten Hag. I mean, just to, I mean, full disclosure... I don't necessarily know all that much about Eric <laughs> Ten Hag, apart from what I've read. Um, yep. But there's a Same. really useful video that you and I have both watched, haven't we, Harry, uh, on YouTube, which is by, I think it's by The Athletic, um, which gives it, a, it's a seven, six, seven minute video. I think you potentially could put a link to it in the description uh, for this episode, which might be quite a nice idea. If I'll have to try and get the Athletics it. permission, but
0: yes, I'll
1: see what I can do. I mean, it's a YouTube video, so you don't need <laughs> that permission, bro. Okay. So, yeah. So once we've established all of the, uh, once Harry signs the contract with Athletic <laughs> to share their videos, which is exactly what I they want them joking. to do. Um, we're, Well, yeah. So this video gives you a, a bit of a nice rundown of how Eric Ten Hag, Ajax team have played uh, sort of how they approach uh, football. I don't think any of it is a real surprise or anything particularly revolutionary because it's eff- effectively sounds like what every other manager seems to want to achieve. Um, but I thought it's worthwhile setting that out from at the outset, just so that people who may not be familiar with Eric Ten Hag can get start to get a a bit of a better idea of how he might approach Manchester United. And then we'll move on to maybe considering whether or not he's actually going to be successful in achieving that end Mm -hmm. or those ends. Yeah. So, yeah. So in terms of the type of football that Eric Ten Hag likes to play. So generally he is surprise, surprise, uh, manager who likes his team to press aggressively and counter-press. So counter-press is where once you've lost the ball as a team, you immediately pressure the opposition to win it back. This is what uh, Klopp's Liverpool are very good at, also Manchester mm-hmm. City, and also Pep's uh, Barcelona were very good at this as well. Um, that necessarily involves a very high defensive line. And... Um, he also likes lots of can get lots of players forwards and um, fullbacks will get very push up into attacking positions so and they the often end up with well. pardon
0: and the centre halves as well yeah centre
1: halves, halves. halves uh, centre halves push out as well so they often end up with eight nine players forward, which mm. sounds absolutely crazy <laughs> might <be> make <making> for <laughs> some quite entertaining football. Um, hopefully, and hopefully that Man United don't just end up with eight, nine players forward, and then passing it sideways to one another, which is exactly.
0: And if Harry Maguire is the only fella back, then we're in trouble. Oh players. well,
1: this is it. So that's that's worthwhile, I suppose. Reiterate, well, sort of clarifying now. So in terms of positions, like what he export, what types of player he likes in each position. So goalkeepers, he likes goalkeepers who were good with their ball at their feet and aggressive, coming out because, as you can imagine. Um if you're playing a really high line and you're trying to win the ball back quickly, you want a goalkeeper who's willing to come out and almost act as a sweeper, like a sweeper keeper um, to, to ensure that the opposition don't just have a free run at goal when they play the ball over the top. Mm-hmm. Something we'll come onto in a bit that might place a little bit of pressure on someone like David De Gea, who's not very sort of adept at doing that. Um, in terms of defenders, he likes Defenders to play who play out from the back, who are aggressive in possession, good passes of the ball, well able to carry the ball out of defense. Fullbacks have to be attacking, but they also need to be able to come inside and play almost like halfbacks, almost like midfielders, which is something that you see Manchester City do with Kyle Walker, João Cancelo, um, and also Liverpool's uh, fullbacks often do it as well. They come and some sort of play inside. Uh, but that means they have to be good on the football, good first yeah, touch, yeah. ability to pass it forward. All of these things are, could be problems for Manchester United's fullbacks. Um, this can mean, because they've got this sort of emphasis on carrying the ball forward and they've also got this emphasis on aggressive pressing and a high line and putting lots of players forward, it can mean that the defenders can be exposed, so they need to be good one-on-one and need to be able to win the ball back quickly. Again, anyone who's familiar with Manchester United this season, might there might be alarm bells ringing in your head because the, all of these qualities that I'm talking about, of the, the players that Eric Ten Hag likes, are basically absent in the Manchester United squad. <laughs> I was going to say, you were like advocating yeah. for a complete gutting of the defence. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of midfielders it's very similar to the defenders I think this is something that harks back to the like almost like the total football approach in the 1970s that the Netherlands were um, yeah. famed for in the the defense there's not that big a difference between what's expected of the defenders and what's expected of the midfielders The midfielders usually they has one or maybe two midfielders who sit deeper um, and then the other one or two midfielders will, Vary their position. They'll rotate. They'll come sometimes. Come deep to pick the ball up. They both have to be capable of carrying the ball forward, mm. being aggressive in possession. Again, maybe not something that some Manchester United midfielders are that all that capable of. And then when he gets up to the forward positions, he's played with a classic number nine like Sebastian Ela, who was terrible for West Ham, but managed to score thirty odd goals for. Of need yep. forty goals, I think for Ajax this season. Well, I think he's got more goals in the Champions League than he played games as well. Yeah, so. yeah, he's got. I think it's 11 in 11 eight or something crazy yeah. like this. But he has played with a false nine as well. Uh, I think this was Dusan Tadic when they were, yeah. when they went quite far in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of wingers, he's got he's played with inverted wingers who cut inside and shoot, which might help Manchester United on the left, but maybe not on the right and um, they vary their position much like the defenders and the midfielders but he also can play wingers more traditionally as well and this is where hopefully there's maybe going to be a little bit of adaptability in that he can adapt the way in which he sets his forwards players up to the players he has available so Sebastian Allaire is like more of a classic number nine so is relying on wingers who are Able to go on the outside and put it in the box, and that's some, that's an approach I have adopted this uh, this season. Um, so that's sort of the way in which Eric Tenag approaches playing football. I think in terms of some things that I've picked up, you can maybe add to this as well, Harry, in terms of the way in which he likes to approach more general management issues. Is that he like he's a coach first and foremost, he likes to focus his time. On the coaching ground. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really like to get involved with agents or really doesn't really like to do press. Um, and so he will require a sort of um a management layer above him, which will sort the transfers out for him or do a lot of that work regarding transfers for him, because mm-hmm. he's not going to be a guy who's going to be getting involved in that or likes or sees that as his role. Um and in terms of his approach to sort of player management, he's very much a systems guy, as you can probably tell from the sort of um, the previous description as to how he likes to play his football. So even though I think some some players have spoken very highly of him, um, there's a sort of an expectation that they're going to be sort of give themselves up to the team and um, expects a high level of discipline and um, he can be, can come a bit, come off a bit standoffish, but is once they sort of, you get to know him, he's really care, cares about his players. Um, but obviously that sort of it has to be a reciprocal things. So he has to get that level of buy-in first, and then he's really sort of invested in players as both players and as human beings. And um, I think that gives you a sort of a good idea of what he's, almost the what how he's going to want to approach this. So Man United have presumably hired him to deliver that level of football, but also with an idea that they're going to have a management structure in place that's going to allow the likes of Eric Tan Hagen and whoever comes after him to focus on the football. Um. so yeah, so I think that unless you've got anything to add to that, Harry. That's probably going to bring us well, on to our I mean
0: is that is that structure in place currently
1: because I mean well like, this
0: is, is Darren Fletcher and the other fella. I can't remember his so name. This,
1: so I think this is the thing. So in terms of what we think he needs to succeed, then I think he's going to need a couple of things that are, that are going to be really crucial. That structure of being in place is one of them. Um and you're right, in terms of whether that is actually in place you'd have to say, at best, there's doubts over it. So mm-hmm. I was doing it, was doing it in my head the other day trying to think through the various directorial um, people at Manchester United who have some influence over the football side of things. So they've got Darren Fletcher's, the technical director, mm-hmm. who is a coach as well, apparently, which is right. nothing to do with technical directorship, as far as I know, that understand the role. They've got a director of football in John Murtagh. Yeah. Um, they've got a consultant in Ralph Ranick. They've got a chief executive in Richard Arnold. And they've got a chief negotiator in Matt Judge. Wow. So they've got five people in – Next, when Eric Tenard comes in, they've got five people plus the coach who are going to yeah. be involved in overseeing the overhaul of the squad and delivering the transfers. There's question marks as to whether or not that starts to get a little bit confusing. I'd never heard of any other clubs having that number of people involved in that sort of the layer between um, the ownership and the football side of things. And there's a question mark as to whether it gets a bit confusing. I think that's where you start to set Eric Ten Hag up to fail because if he wants to concentrate on coaching yeah. and he's got very particular ideas about who he needs to bring in um, the, tr- the transfers he needs to bring in in order to deliver on the, the type of football that he wants to play he can't be far arsing around trying to get a sense out of this w- weird structure that Man United have in place they can't be spending the time that you'd rather be spending on focusing on the players, on go speaking to this agent because Matt Judge can't do his job properly, or trying to get in touch with Matt Judge, or trying to convince the Blazers through uh, Richard Arnold that they need this money. Well, this um, is the problem, then,
0: like, as yeah. you say. Like, you know, the structure is far too diluted, almost. You know what I mean? Like, it's, well, it's too busy. You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's it's far too. If it's too many people like, like, that you have to go through and quite frankly, you know, too many cooks in it. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it feels as though, as you say, they're setting up for failure. I said that it was probably the right guy at the wrong time. I think he is a good manager and all that, you know, he seems to get, you know, his team's playing very good football. But when there's a good structure around him, you know, when so he can go into the job and just
1: coach and he definitely won't be able to do that at Man United with the current structure so I think well I mean it's it's whether or not it's whether or not Manchester United in by virtue of having so many people because it's this classic thing it does happen in workplaces where they end up hiring five people to do two people's jobs and it just about works but there's an efficiency sort of cost there in that you've hired five people to do two people's jobs so it's whether or not in hiring in having five people they can just about deliver the functions that are a, that they need to deliver um, by virtue of just having that many people sort of like is like that sort of that proverb about if you give the monkeys typewriters for over an infinite number of years and eventually they'll write shakespeare so it's mm-hmm. sort of like i mean it's a scaled down version of that but if we give all of these fellas some degree of influence some degree of decision-making power and maybe it'll just work by accident I think the consultancy role for Ranić is is very very odd um and it, well, it will be interesting to
0: as he wants or he first thought
1: well I'm, I mean not that I, I wouldn't expect a consultant to have all that much influence because they're there to They're there to advise, they produce, they're an external body that you hire because you don't have particular expertise in an area and you want someone to come in and provide you with an overview of the current situation, provide some advice or recommendations as to what the best route forward is. But reading up on the role of technical director, that's what a technical director is meant to do. Technical directors don't tend to stay in post for all that long because they're there to provide that that advice. So rather than have Darren Fletcher dicking about being a coach, but also being a quote unquote technical director, they should have just given the technical director role to Ralph Raniak and told Fletcher to dunno to be a coach. If you want to be a coach, be a coach. But don't, don't, let's not come up with these jumped up titles for ex-players. Like, I mean, Man United have been guilty of this for a long time, of giving. Ex players, ex managers, these, these roles in the club, which are poorly defined, which have a negative influence on whoever is trying to work with the football side of things currently. Matt Busby, a legend that he is, was general manager for a while after he got, um, after he retired, and completely met, messed around with um, subsequent managers and himself stepped in to be manager and we still and we repeated that mistake again with Alex Ferguson Alex Ferguson goes to every match I mean Mm -hmm. if you want to go to every match be the manager like I don't understand why you retired can't get him can't keep him away from the fucking place and yeah but he wanted he's desperate to retire anyway like I think that's that's the yeah that's the worry whether or not we can we can just about make it work we'll have to see I think Potentially, you could. I mean, I know you've spoken about there about at Ten Hag almost needing something in place to be successful. It's whether they look at Ten Hag as someone who's going to kickstart this organization side of things. So they know that Ten Hag wants the structure in place to be able to focus on coaching and focus on getting the team playing the way he wants them to play. They know that going in. So whether they go right. this is a kick up the arse that we need to start putting those structures in place making sure we know what each person's role that they they're playing and what each person needs to do and what what responsibilities they have Mm -hmm. Um, and they use that to kick start they use 10-hour appointment to kickstart that who knows i think the other big thing i think in terms of what Ten Hag need? Oh well, other two, two big things that Ten Hag needs. I think one of these is particularly sensitive, is time and.
0: That's why he insisted on a four-year
1: contract, isn't it? Well, it's a three. It's a three-year deal with the option of a fourth year. I think is what I was what I read. Um, but yeah, a four-year deal. I mean, I think this almost goes hand in hand with. This idea of the owners knowing what they want out of the um, out of the process or out of their manager, in that the I think the closest Manchester United have come to having some sort of strategy since Ferguson retired was actually David Moyes and <laughs> hiring David Moyes and giving him a six-year contract, um, mm. because I think if you look. If you look at it kindly, the most sympathetic of eyes, you could look at the appointment of David Moyes as almost like seeing a club builder, someone for whom the entirety of the club operates around. So Alex Ferguson came into Manchester United and made the club, basically all of the club's activities centre around him for for better and for worse. And Mm. maybe they looked, you could... If you're being sympathetic to the glazers, you could say, Oh, well, David Moyes did a similar thing at Everton. So if you're giving David Moyes six years or in effect saying, okay, we've lost a guy who we've had for 26 years, we need to re-that's the way we prefer to do it. So we're going to give you a few years to basically set up the club to run around you. we have faith in your ability to do that and deliver positive results once you've managed to reorganize the club to operate in the way that you want it to operate. Mm-hmm. But the, that clearly wasn't the case. That clearly wasn't their attitude going in because they sacked him after 10 months when he was, when it was clear he wasn't going to qualify for the champions league. And yeah. judging by what Moyes has said since he wasn't made aware of the fact that he, they needed him to qualify for the champions league every year. And I think they probably naively negligently assumed that they just qualify for the Champions League, irrespective of what was going on in the coaching department or in the football side of things. And when it came that they weren't going to qualify, they went, ah, this is something that, this is an income that we've relied upon. We need it to be guaranteed. And we need it to be guaranteed each year. Um, So that's going to be an interesting one because I think really... If we're going all in with Ten Hag and that approach to um organizing the club and, and getting the club playing in a particular way, there needs to be a sort of a transitional period and there needs to be an acceptance that there needs to be a transitional period. The Glazers need to be prepared to not qualify for the Champions League for maybe one, maybe two, maybe three years. And they need to have a plan in place of what they want to be achieving at the end of each year. And they need to entrust people like the director of football to give them an objective assessment as to whether the club is meeting those targets. And those targets are going to have to relate to type of style of football, the cohesion of of the coaching staff, cohesion of the playing staff, things that are more football side of things which they don't know about. And it's whether or not they're willing to devolve that responsibility down to the football management side of things, or whether they have, still have in their mind that they need to qualify for the Champions League every year. And if Eric Tenhal, it doesn't qualify for the Champions League at the end of next year, they're going to sack him. In which case, they clearly, they should just hire Ancelotti or they should just hire someone who they've got a bit of faith as a sort of a... And someone who can like assuage egos right? and get get the minimum out of a, a group of talented players and, sh- and do it short term like that. So, yeah, it's going to be that's going to be, I think, a second big thing that 10 needs is time and faith in the strategy that they're, they seem to be pursuing now. And who knows whether or not they'll get it.
0: Uh... Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, I just don't really think that the Glazers are like that from previous appointments. I think that they very much feel as though that they should be in the Champions League and they should be qualifying and they should be um, competing for league titles and what have you now. They think with the right appointment, they can get it. With a transformative figure, they can start getting the club that way. And I just think that they're wrong about it. And, you know, I don't think they're going to have any sort of Faith or anything like that. I mean, if he's if if he if they finish fourth next year, then he'll keep his job. But anything less, and I don't think they'll have any patience. I don't think they'll give him any time, and unless that's been like you know agreed, but I just don't think they will, because you know they they tried to do it with Solsha, and you know they were rightly ridiculed by a lot of people. You know, it was a failed experiment, and people couldn't quite frankly believe. That they insisted on sticking with Solskjaer for as long as they did. You know, other clubs were laughing at Man United, you know, having Solskjaer there. And and that sounds a bit extreme, but he's he's Ah. akin to, like, he's got a slightly better managerial record than Frank Lampard.
1: But the thing is, like, up until the start of this year, Solskjaer had seen progression year on year. Whether or not that's attributable to him or whether or not it's just sheer luck. I mean, people point to the injuries that Liverpool suffered um, last year. Maybe rightly, that that pardon, rightly, I think. Well, I mean, they Van Dyke was injured all season, and then they had Matip was in and out of the team. But he decided What's the goalkeeper, the, goal, the goalkeeper, they lost six games in a row at home. Like, see, clearly something went wrong other yeah. than just the defenders being missing. Because, like, that doesn't happen if you've got defenders missing. They've still got a really good team. They still had Salah, Mane, and Firmino were fit all season. And they had mm-hmm. midfielders who were fit all season. It's just that they, they had a bit of a nightmare. And, like, they imp- clearly improved upon it this year. Um, but, you, like, it, yeah, anyway you can put that down, that Liverpool collapse to whatever you want to put it down to. Man United did better than them last year in all respects. Yeah. Um, but it collapsed this year and the reasons for that are pretty unclear at this point in time. Um, but I think in terms of delivering on a strategy, there wasn't much of a strategy there. And now they've got a bit of a clearer one in terms of well, as, well, ostensibly, anyway, they've got a clearer strategy in terms of trying to rebuild the club. I think that did have start to happen under Solskjaer, but there's very obvious problems with it. There was the the, the pretty substantial rumours that Solskjaer wanted a midfielder <clears throat> in the summer, and he didn't give him one. They gave him Ronaldo instead. Which well, that, okay, that's, that's
0: why it collapsed. You know, because they bought Ronaldo in, instead of actually bringing someone yeah. in who would. You know, improve the team.
1: Yeah, and that, and that and that's the thing. That's the type of thing that can't happen anymore. And you would hope with this structure in place, they've got a director of football, they've got Ralph Rania consulting, they've got technical directors, they've got all of this sort of directorial sort of positions coming out of their arse. You'd hope now that they don't go down that road of chasing big deals. I think I think Ed Woodward's I mean, we'll never know for sure because Ed Woodward's not the type of guy who comes out and knits fault because he tries to blame everyone else for all of his own failings. Um, but that's that's got him written all over it, that transfer. yeah, that Because that's the sort of thing that he liked to do. He like to waggle his willy about, metaphorically, and make big money signings with little thought as to how they fit together. And again, this is something that they really, really need to get right here. They can't afford to go down the road of... I was just looking... I mean, we've spoken a little bit before. We recorded at the list of squad players that Manchester United have got. They've got mm. nine centre-halves and about 10 attacking midfielders. And then they've got one defensive midfielder and two 2 two 90-year-old centre-forwards. It's just the completely... Dereliction of duty—a complete dereliction of duty in, the, in the, the thing that they're meant to be doing, which is building squads, building teams that can win that can win titles. Instead, they've picked players to try and offset some problem that they've got. So, go oh, we haven't spent enough money. Here's a load of money on this player. Okay, do we need him? Do we is 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 Bruno Fernandes really the player that you need if you've got Paul Pogba? And you're trying to get Paul Pogba signed up to a new deal, is Donny van der Beek the player that you you need if you've got Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes and and you've signed them both up to new deals? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? And, and, And McTominay and Fred, neither of whom is good enough to play in one position midfield. So you have to play in both, which means that Donny van der Beek, Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes all have to fit into one position in midfield. So, you've got two players who can't be who can have to play every game, and three players who can only play a third of the game each. It makes no like they've built a squad which is so lopsided, so pulling in different directions, so incapable of delivering on any one style of play. They just look you get performances like the one against Everton, they just look like they've got no idea what they're meant to be doing. Absolutely mm-hmm. no clue. And just because, they, for all intents and purposes, they don't, because they've just, they, there's so many different types of player in there, but signed for different managers, signed, a diff, signed for different styles of player. You've got Lou Van Gaal players, you've got Jose Mourinho players, these Solskjaer players, David Moyes players, mm-hmm. um, Alex Ferguson players, still. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. And that's the sort of thing that, we can't afford to keep getting wrong we can't afford to keep going down this road so I think that brings us quite nicely onto the the sort of I suppose the the related point of they need to be brutal with the playing staff now and not just hold on to players because they spent a lot of money on them and that they yeah, want to cool. return yeah. on
0: it it's it's it, I suppose, though, the, the issue is that, you know, how do you get rid of a, I don't know, how do you get rid of Phil Jones? How do you get rid of Eric Bailly? You know, like, you can't, like no one wants him. You know, how do you get rid of Alex Tellez?
1: You, well, you have to go down the road of, well, doing like, well, I mean, it does, it's been happening for such a long time now. I mean, it's just an example that came to my mind. There was Nanny to remember that when yeah. Nanny's contract was going down, being run down, As Ferguson left, Ferguson basically didn't play him in his last last season, and they gave him a five year contract. And Moyes came in and didn't want him, so they were stuck with Nani for five years after Ferguson had left, and neither Ferguson nor Moyes wanted to play him. So, like, but they did it because Nani was an asset that cost them, I think, seventeen million, and there was probably probably ad word that he'd be worth. X amount in the transfer market. So they said, oh, well, we don't want to lose him for free. So sign him up to a new contract. And that's happened here. Yeah, like, so Eric Bailly, Phil Jones, Um, Mata. Pop, Mata, um these types of players who are on contracts, which... They don't deserve to be on. They haven't been playing for years and years and years. Eric mm-hmm. Bay can't even get in the squad and they're picking two goalies in the in the first team, in the first team squad. Like that's the sort of thing that they can't afford to do anymore. But now for the here and now, they need to go down the road with Nat like they did with Nanny, of s- subsidizing wages, getting rid of them as in any way that you can get rid of them, no matter what it costs. Because they think. The more that they hang on to players for just hoping that some club will buy them the the worse it becomes for a manager because that person being in the squad is one less per, one less position for someone else, and it means that you're thinking that you're going down the road of like Ralph Randnick did of playing Phil Jones like okay, Phil Jones had an okay game in a in a game that they did they win or did they draw? was it against middlesbrough did he play? they lost
0: in that
1: game yeah so they lost against a championship team and phil jones gets a pat on the back because he played okay okay fine i mean are we a charity club now are we giving these players are we giving these players a sort of game for the day like it doesn't make any sense so you sort of it's that it's that i suppose feeling that manager feels obligated to play a player because they're there and because the club doesn't want to get rid of them we can't have that if ten hag wants has got these principles about the way he wants to play football and the types of play who are going to suit that if he says oh, sorry banged banged the table then I'm getting gesticulating with my hands so much trying to, be, to get so passionate about these manchester united's terrible squad um if if ten hag comes in and says harry maguire doesn't suit my style of play i want to get rid of him and they go and they dally and they go well he cost us 80 million and we, my Hag goes, well, no one's going to, this is exactly the sort of conversation which distracts Ten Hag away from the thing that he needs to be doing, <laughs> like <laughs> negotiating with the board to sell a player. He goes, well, I'm not going to play him. So if, if we don't sell him now, in a year's time, he's going to be worth less. And in a year's time after that, he's going to be worth less. And in a year's time after that, he'll even a free. So this is the sort of thing they're going to have to bite the bullet on. They spent yeah. 80 million quid on Harry Maguire as a fuck you to Jose Mourinho. Swallow your pride, get rid of him if he doesn't. If if Ten Hag doesn't want him, don't go, Oh, well, could he work? And Ten Hag's going, Well, okay, well, he's he's clearly quite influential and a whinger in the dressing room because there's all these stories coming out about how Harry is upset at this and that and the other. Jesus Christ, um, like. If he stays and doesn't play, he's going to be a negative influence. If he stays and plays and doesn't play in the way that Ten Hag wants him to, and the the principles that we went through before, we want a high line, aggressive pressing, players who defenders who are good on one-on-one, one, defenders who are good passers of the ball, and defenders who can carry the ball out of defence. Harry Maguire is not that defender. No, no, he can't do it. He won't. He won't be able to do it, and they will. If he plays, you'll ha- have to compromise and everyone will end up blaming Ten Hag for them not delivering the thing that they want to deliver because of decisions or lack of decisions made at a more sort of management board level. We don't want to get rid of Harry Maguire because we sent 80 million on him. He ends up playing. He ends up being shit. He ends up ruining Ten Hag's team. Oh, well, it's Ten Hag. We'll sack Ten Hag then. And... This is the road that they can't go down. I can't, if there are players there that Tenerhog doesn't rate, they need to be able to get rid of them. I think right. the word is that he doesn't rate Ronaldo, or no, apparently, well, he's
0: leaving. apparently, um, I read that he's had meetings with uh, Jorge Mendes, um,
1: about a move to PSG or even back to Portugal. So, okay, well, that's I mean, if they can get rid of it, that's another thing. That's one that you really need not to rumble on because he is definitely an influential player. He might not be a, a well, I mean, he is a winger, but he might not be a winger at the same level as Harry Maguire. But he is a winger, and he also exerts influence over some members of that squad, mm. the, like the more Portuguese-based or sort of like Latin American-based players. Yeah. Um, so then, if he wants to go, and Ten Hag's not going to play him. I mean, because he's been pathetic when he's not been played this year, hasn't he, Ronaldo? Pathetic. Do you remember, like, it started early on when Solskjaer dropped him for the Everton game, I seem to remember. He threw right, through a right tears right and stormed off the field. And you're like, Jesus Christ, mate. Honestly, like, put aside all of the moral objections, the very legitimate moral objections to Ronaldo playing. Just the, that prick behaviour you don't want to see. It's just... Undermines everyone. You can't have that with a manager that you're investing, the rebuild of the club, and the taking the club forward into a new era. You can't have that sort of on un- being him being undermined in that way. So yeah, like players who aren't going to get with the program, Ten Hag doesn't rate. They need to be able to get rid of them, and they need to get rid of them this summer rather than waiting around until next summer or the summer after. Because every yeah. every year that those new those players. Who Ten doesn't want are there, they will they will make it the job more difficult for him. So he needs to be given as much as possible a clean slate to work with, and that is going to require some sacrifices from the glazers on quote unquote assets that they've invested money into that will they won't be able to realise that value or anything close to it.
0: Hmm. So that's what he needs to succeed. Then essentially just like a clear out that's very effective, and you know. They're able to start with a clean slate, as you said. So, then what else does he need, you know, to sit in order to succeed like, in terms of personnel coming in? Does he need, like, you know, do, have you okay. as has there been any players identified that they could possibly be after in the summer? Or is that a bit too specific and a week or more talking generally
1: speaking? um no, I think we can have a little bit of a chat about that. I think, in terms of, I mean, looking at the show with, for full disclosure, for those listening, we've got um we've got a list of the squad up in front of us, um
0: and this is I'm the most very brett- ne-
1: we've ever done. I'm, I'm very nerdy, so I've gone through them <laughs> and given them a score out of ten as to whether or not uh, whether or not they meet Ten Hag's principles, or um and I think that I've I've totted up one, two, three, four, five, six. 9 10 11 12 13 so there's 13 players out of a out of a squad of about 35 who, who I can see yeah. potentially being able to implement the type of football that Ten Hag wants to play
0: and a couple of those are definitely leaving at the end of the yes yeah, so a couple of those are leaving
1: matic is leaving you'll um, leave matic will leave gavarn uh, will leave yeah matic will leave. Your, yeah.
0: well could buy Bailly...
1: probably leave yeah Mm. So, yeah. So you're probably looking at maybe less than ten players yeah. who are.
0: Some of them are maybe like I mean, you've said that some of them are potential. You know what I mean? So like, you know, you've got your likes of I don't know, Twanzabi who could come back and be quite good. Uh, there, it.
1: that's yeah. That, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's one of those. It's they've got so many players. This is the problem with Man United squad. So they've got players who. I've not only played poorly at Manchester United or not kicked on at Manchester United, but when they've been given a loan out, I've n- not kicked on again. Mm. So, like, so just going through this list here, we've got Tuan Zabe, who was on loan at um, Aston Villa, and then they they didn't he didn't play there, so he's gone to Napoli. He doesn't play there apparently. Um, Brandon Williams is in out of a terrible Norwich team. James yep. Garner is the only one who's doing really well. He's playing well at Nottingham Forest, and they're doing really well. Um, Tahi Chong is playing, I think, at Birmingham, not doing very, not doing particularly well. Facundo Palestri is signed for big money. Apparently, he's not very doing very well in Spain. Ama Diallo signed for big money, been on loan at Rangers, not doing great, not in and out of the team. Anthony Martial, obviously, we all know about Anthony Martial. Very up and down sort of player. Maybe there was hope that him going on loan to a team who were playing really well, um, who were playing well until Martial arrived <laughs> um, as Sevilla. Why's out of team now? He's a he, he scored one goal and's been out of the, in and out of the team, and since then they've been taken. They've dropped down from about six points behind Real Madrid. I think they're about twelve or fifteen points behind them now, and they're looking like they might not qualify for the Champions League, despite despite looking nailed on. So, so you've got those players are going to come back, presumably not done their value any good, but they're going to have to. I don't see many of those potentially being all that suited to Ten Hag. There's the younger. I'd actually, what I'd actually like to see is them get like really push ahead and get ready as many as these possibly can. And actually, they don't actually have to sign anyone, just bring through some of the younger players. At least that's something that we can get behind because they're more willing to give those guys a chance. And, and they, and Ten Hogs works really well with younger players. All of the Ajax team that he's worked with were all extremely young um, worked with worked with them, brought them into the first team, and they've loads of them have gone on to sign for big teams, and actually not be quite as good at the big teams, which is a positive in the sense that there's something unique about Ten Hag, which is making these players come on and play really well in the team that he sets up. And then they don't quite replicate it elsewhere. That's what you always want. You don't want what's happened with Man United in recent years. Man United players looking terrible at Man United and leaving and looking really good. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Lingard is like... Ex- I mean, he's there still now, but yeah. he looked amazing at West Ham. And then they were like, you know what? We'll keep him, but we're not going to sign him. And they should have sold him in the summer
1: when West Ham but wanted him. And he's wanted to a, pay play- he's him. a player. I mean, he's I've given... So just to give the viewers an insight into some of my thinking around this, I gave out of ten, I gave Jesse Lingard a five in terms of his suitability for Ten Harvin I mean, sort of I wasn't really sure. But I mean, by the sounds of some of his principles in terms of being able to rotate rotate position, being sort of purposeful with the ball, like if they got them playing the right way, Lingard would be Lingard would do well in that type of team.
0: Mm, definitely, but
1: he's probably had enough. Because that was, yeah, like you say, that was a real killer to, for Solskjaer to beg from the reports, if we can trust the reports on it, to beg him to stay and then for him to barely play him. Mm. Like, it, it just, yeah, it's another one. It's just you, you have no idea what the decision making process is there. Um, it seems absolutely wild. Um, it's, and it's, it's killing, killing people's careers and killing, and killing United at the same time if um,
0: well, Lingard had played in that West Ham side this season who knows he could yeah. be in the squad again he could be like you know if he'd have kept that level he definitely would be in the England yeah. squad. that's it you isn't know? it
1: that's it so it's sort and he's definitely not going
0: to go to the World Cup because yeah. of the season he's had and that's his last World Cup potentially because he's what 28 29 I think yeah so you know yeah. he'll be 33 when well yeah 30, 32 and a half <laughs> when the next one comes around so you know he'll be It'll be yeah. a pity, uh, you know, to take Lingard, like Lingard. It'll be more of a, oh, well, he's you know paid his dues. We can put him in the squad, but never play him sort of thing if he ever does go to a World another World Cup. And That's
1: it's just it. It's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame, and it's, it's and it, this is the thing. It's it's elite football, so these guys run good money. So it's sometimes a little bit difficult to feel sympathy with for them, but equally poor. That's, yeah, that's someone who's gone away and done really well and has deser- almost deserved to take his career on and capitalise on playing well. And yeah. he's just been stunted by Manchester United's incredibly Obtuse. bizarre decision-making <laughs> yeah. approaches. And the, the same thing happened with nearly with Dan James, that Solskjaer said to him he's gonna, he, he wants to keep him. And then someone else said, oh, you know, your eighth choice and so he was like, okay, well, I'll leave there. <laughs> I'll sign <stand> somewhere out <laughs> of my eighth choice behind yeah. Lingard, who never plays, and presumably Matter as well, who never plays. Um, yeah, it's one of those. I think that's 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 what he needs to succeed, I think, is a clear-out faith in the strategy and, and an ability to see the strategy through and... And um, being, yeah, just being given the support by the structures above him in signing players and overseeing mm. squad direction.
0: So obviously, this isn't all going to happen in one window. Well, you, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it, it's probably not going to. No, I wouldn't but have thought if, so. If they were successful with this, you know, relatively big clear out, you know, over the next few years or what have you, then are we basically saying that they need to sign a player in every position, at least one? Because is, is are there any positions that you know apart from maybe the wingers that you can potentially think would be that are okay?
1: You know? So yeah, this is the so this is the tricky one. So I've I've identified off the centre halves, Varane and Baye as being potential um, potentially able to sort of fulfils Ten Hag's vision. The only reason I picked Baye is because he's the only one with any pace. And and Varane has got good reading of the game. So you could see in terms of just a reminder of those, the way that Den ha- Ten Hag likes to defend, really high line, aggressive pressing, um, being able to play out from the back, and um, carrying the ball, need to be good one-on-one. I think, and they can be exposed. So I think pace is going to be a really important one for the centre-halves. I think Eric Bailly... He's got work to do on his distribution. His concentration's not always great, but he's got good. Sp- he's got really good speed, um, and he's got good, really good re- recovery pace. So, right. of the defenders that they've got, he's got potential there. But he's the only one that I could see fulfilling that those those that those principles of being able to play in the way that Ten Hag wants to play and Varane as well. Um, so yeah, you're probably looking at a centre half, one minimum. You're Probably looking at a right back because I can't see Juan unless unless he's coached and he's coached quickly. Um, but then again, <laughs> really the quickly. Ultimate,
0: well, what what makes a good coach? Is it taking players who are who are shit and making them good, or is it buying good players and making them work? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's an interesting dichotomy there. I think there's maybe a little bit of. A little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, in the words of Holmes Simpson. Um, nice. in the,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, nice yeah. one. <laughs> um, in that, like, you need to be able to bring players on, because I do think that there are, have been players at Manchester United who they've lost faith in so far too quickly, and right. then their careers have stalled because there's been a confidence issue as a result of them being discarded by Man United, or they've had to go down a level and then they've not really picked, received the same level of support. Or There are a myriad of things that can happen, I think, with a footballer, which can result in a variety of different career trajectories. I don't necessarily think that, for instance, Alexander, Trent Alexander-Arnold is an incredible fallback, an incredible player. Do you mm-hmm. think that if he'd been picked up by Jose Mourinho at Man United, that his career trajectory would have followed the same well, of, of course awkward. not. Like, it's it's no. like if
0: Van Harland signed Mane.
1: Yeah, well, this is the thing, isn't it? So, like, you take Liverpool players out of that team where they've been they've been given a structure within which to work, which sort of brings out the best in them. They've got coaches who believe in them and are, are positive, and they're always asking them to play positively. Mm. Like Trent Alexander Arnold wouldn't have been able to play in a Le Mourinho low block because he just, I mean. He, like people have a pop at is sort of defending and i mean it has a lot to do with the way in which they play um but he also runs back and does like good things in defense so he's not like a complete joke defender but if he was just being asked to just defend this the 18 yard box there's no way he would have been like he would it would have developed in the same way that he's developed now so i think there is a thing there is definitely that aspect to it where A coach gets hold of a player at a stage in their career where they they work well together, Mm. or in the sort of the converse would be the coach and the player meet and they're complete polar opposites and they really don't get on. And that player, the potential that that player had, is lost. I think Um, that as well
0: comes to the type of coach that or the type of man that the manager is. You know, I mean Mourinho nowadays falls out with anybody and everybody you know um and he and he did that at man united he kicked up an absolute stink because he, he wanted to center off and they didn't say he'd already signed too many and so he was like right then well fuck i'm gonna get i'm gonna and also he was like you know insisted on signing paul pogba for 90 million quid and then when he arrived he didn't have a plan for him you know he wanted to play him yeah as a fielder. so it's like you know and then he fell out with him because of that and pogba was like well what, what are you doing like why are you I do you think
1: yeah, Paul Pog was a, a classic example of that, of him just unfortunately running into a succession of managers, a, a structure within Man United where they weren't willing to play in a way or set up the team in a way that best exemplified his his quality. Mm. And as such, he's really fallen by the wayside. I mean, his career's not fallen off a cliff in the way that it has done for others, but it's certainly. He's what, 29 now? 28, 29? Yeah, 29. So he should be at the top of his game. And he's looking really like he, he's not as good a player as he was before he signed for Man United. Mm. And like, so that's, I suppose, speaks to your point in that there is a need to sign players who are at a good level that they can operate with the manager and, and sort of have got a good level of ability. But equally put, if the manager and the player aren't suited to one another, or the player's not suited to the style the manager is trying to implement, they their potential could be lost and they might not fulfill the sort of the level of potential you paid for, or which you'd hoped when you saw them in the youth team. I think Man United squad is littered with those players where they've paid a lot of money for them with a particular idea in mind as to who how they want to play football and how they want to approach the game. And the manager's changed and they've come in with a different approach and that player's not looked the same. And so that's what they they desperately can't do now. They desperately can't do down that road, spending big money on players. So in terms of, yeah, answering that question is, it's a bit of both. But they need to. So there needs to be joined up thinking when it comes to buying the players who fit the style that not just Ten Hag is trying to implement, but that is cohesive, so that the players complement each other. So you're not buying uh, Pogba, then buying Fernandez, then buying Donny Van der Beek. You're buying Pogba, then you're buying the player that Pogba needs in midfield, or the players that Pogba needs in midfield to get the best out of Pogba to provide. solidity in the midfield that can then allow the right back to attack. And then you buy the right, right back. And then you buy, like, it starts to fit together Mm. rather than, yeah, just go, Oh, we'll sign him. Oh, we'll sign him. Oh, we'll sign him. Oh my God. We've got all, we've got four players who play in the same position. So yeah, this is the thing that's, that's what they'll, that's what they'll need to do with Ten Hag. So when it comes to the specific positions in the squad, They desperately need a right back. Yeah, Wan-Bissaka. Wan-Bissaka might be able to brought on. He's got good athleticism, so he's got good recovery pace. He could potentially be... There was an interesting part of the the video that, um, that Harry will link to. I'm just reminding him now. Link to in the description where they were talking about how they were, in one game, Ajax were rotating the defender who attacked, so they had the four defenders plus the defensive midfielder. And then in some parts of the game, all four defenders were back, and then the midfielder would gone forward, and one of the 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 um this the fullbacks had tucked inside to cover for the midfielder. In another um, another part of the match, the left back had gone really far forward and the defensive midfielder had stayed back. The in another part, the right, the right-sided defender had gone really far up the pitch. If Aaron is the guy who stays back, He's got, he's going to be a good player for Man United because he's got good recovery pace and he can tackle. If he's, he's the player who's asked to go up, forward, well, I mean, that would be, that would be, I mean, his positional play is dog shit and he seems to not know what's going on. So and he's he also He plays everyone
0: on side all the time, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he plays
1: everyone on side every, all the time. Maybe that doesn't matter if he's just pushed up into his own, into the opposition half. So they're just, they're going to be on side anyway. Um, or was just asked to play on the halfway line. Um, But, yeah, so that's the only potential I can see with Wamsaka. I can't see his ball-playing ability coming on in the way that it's going to be necessary for Ten Hag to be playing him. Dalo, maybe. but I I get a bit frustrated with Dalo because he he likes to cut inside onto his left foot when he's right-footed and playing at right-back. I don't understand it, Um Luke. Like so, the for fullbacks T- Tellez. I don't know. what Don't know who he is. I don't know. Um, he's good at. I don't know what he's good at. He can take no, the odd free kick. That seems to be his his, his bag. Um, Luke Shaw, you'd hope, but there's potential with the fullbacks. There's potential for just bringing a, a couple of youth players through. I really do think. I think. I think it's that seems to be the position where young players can come through and have a little bit of freedom because it's not, um, it's not a super important defensive position, but equally they can give be, they can be given freedom to maybe go forward in attack, but not necessarily be the central attacking focal point for the team. Yeah. So, like so, if they've got a couple of young fullbacks who apparently they do, like this He's guy. Ethan Laird, yeah, who had a really good time at Swansea, and then they ended the loan and sent him to Bournemouth where he doesn't play. Again, another, I don't know what the decision-making process is mm-hmm. there. Um, potentially someone like that. There's a fella, Fernandez, I think, who might be in the squad for the Norwich game later on. Yeah. Like, yeah, so this couple, bring in a couple of fellas. They don't need to spend money on a full who might or might, or might or might not be good. Certainly not 50 million quid on a fella who can't control the ball Um, defensive midfielder looks to be a real they a real weak area that they need someone I think James Garner plays that, that. Season,
0: the season before that and the season before that they've yeah. needed a defensive midfielder for a very long time you know they haven't yeah. signed a first team defensive midfielder since Ferguson left pretty much
1: well they signed Matic haven't they oh well, yeah. I mean come Matic. on a good one. sorry <laughs> yeah so it's one of that like they he will by the sounds of it, by the way that his team's set up, he'll need one of those type of players, and it looks to me that they they are they are looking to find that type of player. Who's I the think that pardon,
0: who's the guy for you?
1: Like? Uh, I don't see I don't see enough of European football. I think they're going to have to start. This is another sort of side issue. They're going to have to start going down the road of signing relative unknowns or picking people up for cheap. I'd say the model has to be. Vidic and Evra rather than Robin Van Persie. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like signing relative unknowns from other leagues you think can bring, you can bring on rather than ready-made players from the Premier League who are going to cost set you back quite a lot of money. Van Persie didn't... Well, Van Persie relatively did for the, the, the where he was with his contract, but um, overall it wasn't that expensive a signing. But those glamour signings that Man United are making... They're not going to be able to get attract the best players if they're not Declan Rice. Then it's whether it's whether they think it's worth. He's a good player and he would do a job, a good job for them. I'm sure he would Ten Hag. If it goes well for Ten Hag, he could bring him on. But it's whether or not they think, whether or not they think it's worthwhile getting into this prolonged approach. With so, this speaks to one of the other problems that they've yet to resolve is that apparently Man United struggle to, to work on more than one transfer at a time, so <laughs> which has been a problem in the past. Whether it's going to be a problem in the future, in with this new setup, who knows? But that was all that was apparently the, the rumor that they couldn't do, they couldn't work on more than one simultaneously. So, if they if they're that's still a problem for them, they can't have this prolonged battle with, with Declan Rice at the expense of signing all of the other players or with, at the ex- expense of giving Ten Hag a good pre-season with a load of players. the idea In an ideal world, that by the time June rocks around, they've got rid of half of their squad and they'll have f- five, six new players in place. It's not going to happen, but that would be the ideal world. They can't end up just signing a load of fellas in the end of August again um, and then going, OK, qualify for the Champions League. Like it's just not gonna work. It's and yeah, that's the worry. So yeah, um I think with midfielders, they pretty much they need the defensive midfielder and they probably need one more, but the likes of vanderbeek Fred, Tomine to a lesser degree, Fernandez, oh, yeah. Garner, yeah. So that's that's one place where if they get those players playing well and in roles that suit them, which has been <laughs> A problem in the past, McTominay and Fred playing deep in midfield when they've got no passing ability and can't control it is a big problem. And so playing one of them higher up the pitch and getting them to tackle and then give it to the guy stood closest to them. That's something that will work for Fred and McTominay. Getting them to pick the ball up and progress the ball and and run with it from deep positions. McTominay is quite good at that, but this sort of being the playmaker is not there not their talent it's not best use of their talents. Mm. Do you
0: know who um, people, like, they're very excited about though apparently one of the young players, uh Hannibal, uh what's his oh Mejri
1: or something like that? M'gier-Bri or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's another one. Like he's another guy who potentially if they wanted to get like, like Polkid looks to be going, if they wanted mm. to get rid of Van der Beek as well because they van der Beek's fed up and they or they wanted to get rid of Fred because why not? And like having another, having a younger player in there to p- try and bring on would would not be a bad thing, mm-hmm. um, and particularly if James Garner's there as well, because it sort of you start to get a few of them coming through at the same time. It always feels a little bit like you're building something, even if it's just that's just a perception. For the, yeah. if only one or two are coming through, with like three or four and um, come through and playing regularly, you're starting to build that sort of that connection between the supporters and the, the team again. Yeah we and when like other midfielders like wingers, attackers, they, they need a couple of players there, I think Sancho and Alanga I've put as players who I could see working in um a, a um in a ten hog team, but I think Alanga only needs to be brought on a little bit more. Um, and Rashford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rashford, if he starts to come on a little bit, plays on the left wing that doesn't play him on the fucking right, which Ranjik seems to have a sort of, he can't play him anywhere else apart from on the right. Um, yeah, like maybe he'll come on again, maybe with a bit more confidence and maybe with a manager who trusts him and who can work, he's got a system that worked for him, Maybe, maybe he'll come on. Um, and then they need a forward, don't they? Unless unless they've they've got a, unless Ten Hag can work with Martial, Um but or unless I, he
0: plays a false nine and has Sancho, uh you know Sancho Rashford and Elanga, unless he plays all th- those three across the front.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. I th- still think then you you you're a He's couple still, short. Plays, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or just basically Martial, maybe. Yeah, If the so I comes
0: back and kicks on, that will be quite interesting. Well, this is
1: it. So there's there's some question marks over there. They're pretty big question marks over some of these younger players who are coming back from loan spells. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, what Manchester United have not done in years gone by, which they could really do with doing this year, is gone out in one window and bought the players that the manager thinks he needs all in one go. What mm-hmm. they've tended to do is buy three players, max three or four, and then leave one part of the team understaffed, which then seems to lead to other problems emerging. So at the end of last year, I couldn't have envisaged saying we need to get rid of 15 players and sign six new ones. But that absence of a coherent strategy has had knock-on effects for existing players, players who we might not have thought were, we needed to get rid of. Now we think probably should get rid of them. And, and yeah, that's, that's the sort of thing, which is, again, almost an anathema to, along to helping the manager deliver on his vision. It's just sort of leaving him short, constantly leaving him short. But, so I suppose that gets brings us to our last point in terms of how likely we think it is that he's going to succeed. Mm-hmm. So you, like, so have we've established that he needs a good structure in place. He needs yeah. the board to make strong decisions on existing playing staff and getting rid of players who don't fulfil his vision. Yeah. And then he needs support in the transfer market, immediate support in the transfer market, buying the players quickly and who he needs i'm trying to get that div done in Jan- in in the summer and if not in the summer summer and january so and also sort of a commitment to a long-term strategy so time if it doesn't go right so where do how likely do we think it is that a 10 Hag gets all of those
0: well, I mean, it's about a time frame, I suppose. I mean, like obviously the structure is the main thing because then it allows you to do every every one of those other things, you know, like yes. without, you're never going to have a good transfer window. You're never going to have, you know, you're never going to get rid of your players, that kind of stuff. So it's about the structure. That's the main thing. You know, it's, I, I mean, I haven't heard like anything of it being in place. You know, I think it's still very sloppy. You know, there's still a lot of people trying to do, you know, the same job or different jobs, and we don't quite know, you know, the transparency isn't there about who does what role and, you know, how defined and established it is. So, you know, obviously this will be part of negotiations with 10 Hag. You'd like to think 10 Hag would insist on some of these things being in place by, by the time he arrives. So, you know, maybe who knows? I think that it depends how um, serious the board are about, you know, correcting the, problems you
1: know yeah that's the thing I think it, it was interesting it was an interesting story that um apparently Ten Hag surprised Fletcher and Murtar in the um, in the interview by basically ripping the current structure apart and what was going wrong with the club and um, completely ripping it apart which hopefully gives them pause for thought and reflection and I helps them identify things that have been going wrong. But Ralph raniak has been there as well. And Ralph Raniak is famed for building clubs. So sort of building club structures which allow them to identify young talent and bring it on. So like Erling Haaland is the the big one. Like they got Erling Haaland at rare uh, at Salzburg got Ali like he managed to sign Erling Haaland. Um and subsequent to that they were able to sort of well they sold him to Brushy Dortmund, but he he he's gonna come on go on to become one of the best players in the world. Um so if he's not been putting the advice in place in they, or they're not he's not being able to give the advice
0: mm-hmm.
1: You sort of think, well, that's a waste. For whatever they're paying him, they're wasting it. But maybe they're listening to him. Who knows? This speaks to what you were saying about transparency and about who knowing who does what. It's not very clear from the outside. So that lack of clarity could just point to Man United being guarded with their decision-making processes. But yeah, my I think my my main fear is that. The Glazer influence in terms of wanting short-term goals which relate to finances are going to start to really negatively impact this long-term thinking. And when it comes to the crunch, are they going to be able to accept two years without Champions League? Are they going to be able to accept an 8th, ninth place finish no European football at all, if that's what it takes to deliver the long-term success. I mean, that's what it took with Klopp. Like, he finished eighth in his first year, despite being given a good chunk of the league season and being brought in potentially with the view that they could win the league that year and they finished eighth. But every year, subsequent to that, he's been supported, they've got the right players in
0: yeah,
1: and they've seen an upward trajectory apart from last year. So, They need to have that need to be almost have that gumption, and just it does nothing that they've done so far gives me any confidence that they're going to be able to deliver on that. And the 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 other thing that's nagging at me is what comes after Ten Hag. Do they go down the roll road that they went with with Van Gaal and Mourinho? So hire a systems based manager in Ten Hag. It doesn't work, so they hire Ancelotti. As a response, they hire the opposite guy. And then we're just, just stuck in this loop of just hiring the opposite guy to the guy who's come before, signing a load of players who suit that manager, then sacking him and selling them all or having them all sit around, earning 200 grand a week, doing nothing. Like, that's yeah. that's the fear. Hopefully, hopefully, the structure comes into play and they start to think a little bit more long-term. They start to plan... They've got an idea of the type of fella that they want in after Ten Hag, maybe, or they've got a, at least a contingency plan in place to, if it goes like mega tits up with it, Ten Hag, that they could they well, identify is, someone is, who could follow like it on. Meaning.
0: You look at Man City and you look at Liverpool, and they've got the two best managers in the world, you know, like you arguably, right? And they are going to be preparing for them leaving every single day you know i mean like they are putting a plan and a structure in place so well we assume that i think we'll have a huge say in who gets to who will also be overtaking from him but it'll be informed it'll be like a a very it'll be a very robust sort of process and then the next guy will come in whether that's rogers whether that's pochettino whoever it may be rogers would like to think it's rogers but i don't think it is going to be you know
1: like That's the yeah. That's that's the word. Apparently, that's the word. Is that Rogers? They like Rogers. Do they? Apparently. Um, I think. I think. I mean, they sort of Liverpool rather looked. I mean, not to go too much into Liverpool here, but like they, they, I don't think they necessarily planned for Klopp, um, because he was they they kept Rogers lost six one on the last day of his final full season to Stoke, and they kept him on for the next year. Signed players that he wanted, or
0: mm, well, I, I, and then I, sacked him. I, I read different, I read that the that Firmino was, was Klopp's player, and they signed Firmino that summer because Klopp had said, I want till October to take my break. So, oh, okay,
1: interesting. So, I might that might be my ignorance there, but yeah, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Um, well. Then they have done the succession planning there, but I, spe- I suppose they were relatively fortunate that Klopp was in a position to be able to take that. But I mean, that's, that's all football, I suppose. You're, a fo- you're in the right place at the right time and you're able mm. to... I, mean, I suppose you were trying to maximise your chances of being able to get the guy that you really want or if the guy that you want becomes available or a really good guy becomes available, you need to be in a position to game. Um And that was always Man City's thing. I think they planned to get Guardiola from the moment they bought the club. Um, And they were were in the position to get him when when he became available. And Mm -hmm. Liverpool, I think they went on a bit more of an up and down road, but they maximised their opportunities of getting Klopp. So... That's the thing. So Man United need to be need to have that structure in place, not just for Ten Hag, but for the guy that comes after Ten Hag, um, which is a scary thing to think of at the moment because we're not even sure if Ten Hag's going to go right. Um, yeah, yeah. I just hope that it does. But it's 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 something that would book the trend certainly with the Glazers, but we'll have to see if they're starting to realise what it takes to run a football club. They can't just leave it to one guy and sit back and count their dividends.
0: Well, that's it. But do you, do you think that, you know, do you think that if Ten Hag is a success, that, you know, they'll actually start to look to that then, you know, and or do you think that it will just be, just leave it to him sort of thing to, to... Well,
1: I mean, I think from what we were saying, I don't think it can be a case of leaving it to him because he just doesn't operate in that way. Um, And I think that's going to fatally undermine him if he's, if it's left, if the whole club structure is left to him, he's not, and presumably he's not been um, assured or he's been, sorry, he's been offered assurances that that isn't going to be the case and that he's going to be supported by that structure above him. Otherwise I don't think he'd be taking the job. So Mm -hmm. it is going to, it is going to more now, more now than ever, it's going to live and die by that sort of, decision-making organizational structure that the the club are meant to have in place and that's going to maximize the chances of Ten Hag's success or it's really going to compromise him Um, and yeah they need to stop looking I think that's another thing that they need to stop doing is stop looking to one person or one player or one manager or one executive to to change everything so get rid of Woodward and then everything will change or get rid of Mourinho get rid of Solskjaer everything changes it, it just hasn't proven to be the case it's yeah. not a, it's not nec- it's not about one person the one person can add a bit more but it's 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 something that is additive it it builds on what's there already and so if you've got nothing and you add a little bit with Ten Hag it's still only going to be a little bit Whereas if ten, if you've got something that's good, and you add ten Hog and he adds the extra, it's going to make it feel like ten hogs having more of a positive influence than he actually is. It's the the, the structure that exists there already, which is going to be the thing that determines whether or not what what well, terms of what level you're starting from. But it's a bit a big job. It's a big job for everyone and concerned, and no one's going to escape responsibility for this because they've yeah. been fortunate in many ways that they were able to blame van hal for being boring and moyes for being underprepared and Mourinho for being uh, sort of mm-hmm. just uh, a complete asshole and it was it and fans were sort of happy to accept that as I mean, it was never explicitly given by the glazers or woodward as an explanation as to why these things went wrong but they were happy to let the fans build that thinking up almost themselves naturally, like you look at the, the football on the pitch and go, oh, it's all Mourinho's fault, it's all Van Hal's fault, it's all Solshar's fault. Now they think there's a realization that actually these things are more endemic and they're more they relate more to how the club has organized itself and the decisions that are coming down from the top. And the, what we're seeing on the pitch is a product of that. And Ten Hag, hopefully that means that Ten Hag's given a little bit of leeway with supporters. And if he is getting the level of support from the board, then you can start to, will hopefully start to see some progress and he can be judged on solely what he's doing rather than being judged on what's happening above him.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, fair enough. Yeah, I think so. Just to ask them, are you optimistic or excited about the uh, next season?
1: Yeah, I'm always fairly optimistic about Manchester United going into a new season. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to temper my expectations with this, yeah. with this knowledge that there is a lot to do. Um, I really, really don't want to see... Fred and McTominay at the base in midfield, and them playing as and Maguire and, v- and Varane at centre half and De Gea, that they just, you know, just them st- setting up in much the same way as they set up in um the last couple of years. I actually want to see, and they maybe want to see, a, yeah, a few young people, a few young players, and some just some goals as well would be nice because United barely score any goals anymore which is which is a shame um yeah, but I am out like the, the way that Ix played in the way in the couple of games that I've seen them um they've ripped they would are capable of ripping teams apart um and if you can do that if you can get something close to that then that would be really really excellent so there is there is that hope that because he's a sort of a guy who's maybe feels a bit more on top of his game, is a bit more in sort of in tune with the way in which football seems to be being played. We've consistently got managers who would feel archaic, yeah, like yeah. like Van Gaal and Moyes before him didn't really seem to be getting to grips with managers who were operating at the same time as him. Although he seems to have been doing a lot better at that now. Yeah. Um, Van Hal seemed to be playing a very old, sort of like really possession based style of play. Then Mourinho seemed to be going back, backwards, and Solskjaer didn't really have all that much coaching ability. It seems to be relying on Chutspur and sort of a good spirit. Mm. And so now we've got a guy who's actually a bit of a, a sort of a, a, almost like a, ma- not a maverick, but seems to be someone who would be a desirable coach. You could see someone like, could potentially see someone like Man City or Liverpool sign, like hiring him if they were to lose Klopp or Guardiola, if you get what I mean. Like, I could not I I would never, yeah, I would never have imagined Liverpool or Man City or any other club hiring Solskjaer or any other clubs hiring Mourinho when he was available. He means sacked, been sacked by Chelsea. um. So that's that hope there, that he's up and coming. I mean, he's older than potentially you might think. He's like 50, early in his early 50s. So he's been around for a while, but he sort of feels like he's playing an up-and-coming style of football, which potentially you can start to feel a bit excited about. It's just, yeah, it's just if he's stuck with the same old shy players and can't get a tune out of them. And we're having the same conversation about recruitment again next year, about them always being short of players. That's mm. the worry.
0: That's it. And then I suppose with that structure, it doesn't matter who's in, Copy Guardiola or Klopp. You know, if you've got if you've not got any of the support around you,
1: you're not gonna This is it. This is it. Yeah. Mm. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. So if they sign a good midfield, good decent midfielder, decent centre forward, decent centre half, and a right back. So how many is that? <laughs> midfielder full-back centre-half um, uh, forward four I mean it's not it's not asking the world so I'm yeah. four players
0: but you have to get rid of at least four you but... have to get rid of
1: about ten and then they fill the squad with young players
0: yeah no that'd be good yeah. it, it is exciting but um, and look I can be a fan again if Ronaldo leaves in the summer. So, you
1: know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, That's the thing, yeah. If that's going to be, I'll actually be more excited about players leaving because it it might actually (laughs) show me they're serious about doing some of the stuff they're saying they're going to do. Exactly.
0: I think it would be, you know, it's definitely in their best interest to get rid of Ronaldo, like for sure.
1: And like beyond that, like looking in the squad of the players who played a lot this year, if you could sell one player, get rid of one player, or make sure that you could get rid of one player, who would it be? Aside from like aside from the guys who you know are leaving, like Cavani and Matic and Ronaldo, I think Ronaldo is a given. But like just looking at some of these names, like Fred, McTominay, um tellers Wambasaka, Maguire. So
0: I can choose one and it's not Ronaldo, because you think Ronaldo's yeah. leaving it anyway. Yeah. Oh, it'd be McTominay.
1: So McComin A, okay. I think
0: I'd go with Maguire. So oh, actually, see... yeah. And well now that you say Maguire. I mean, I think I... Maguire, I've been harsh on him uh, in parts of the season and I've also been I've also been fairly you know, giving him a chance. I've been quite fair on him in other in other portions. But really now I'm just thinking, what is he good at? Like you know what I mean? Like what does he actually do that's good? Like I
1: mean this it takes is it. He's a fart ass of a of a a fella as well. Do you know what I mean? He's like a whimperer. Like Mm -hmm. yeah, he's just a winger. He's crap. He's got turning circle of a bus. He's slow. Can't pass. Can't can't edit.
0: Doesn't put all the
1: corners on his head, and he can't edit up in the air. Like he's literally they. He suits a team that defends the the eighteen yard box, and unless Man United are going to hire Mourinho again, that's not going to be Man United. They need to get rid of him because if he plays, he's just going to be a big, big exposed part of the team, and he's going to, and then everyone moves backwards as a result of him. Uh, The whole team moves backwards, and so they're fast around passing it around on the edge of their own eighteen yard box, and giving it. Yeah, so that would be my guy but I mean maybe not Wambasack as well but hopefully Wambasack can just be a guy that they bring <laughs> you very
0: on. loud one and then I would selfishly from my own selfish point of view say Ronaldo so then I can start supporting him again that's yeah
1: I mean. oh yeah yeah Ronaldo's a given and I th- hopefully he will leave as well um, but yeah he's not these some of these guys just don't want him don't want Ten Hag to be stuck with them and mm-hmm. the worry is that we're yeah that they will be
0: is coming out there they're not happy with the bloody appointment
1: yeah, I saw that. a few. It depends who that's coming from. They, they were underwhelmed. I would imagine that comes from Ronaldo. I mean, that's just a pure punt. I've got no inside knowledge. But the only guy who I can think of being underwhelmed by a manager who has got form in that respect, because I think he, there was word that he was underwhelmed by Rafa Benitez when they hired him at Real Madrid, um, I think at the time, if I remember correctly, and they soon got rid of her they soon got rid of Benitez and there's rumour that he didn't want Conte and they didn't go for Conte. Um, so yeah, my guess would be that that's Ronaldo because he's the sort of guy who thinks that he deserves the, exactly the type of manager that he wants. Um, so yeah, if, hopefully can get, if Ten Hag said he doesn't want him, then hopefully they get rid of him. Mm. Or, whether, Whether he, he sells
0: rather than the player who's only going to be there for another year anyway.
1: Well, this is it, yeah. I just that's yeah, you'd hope that they see sense in that respect. Just I'm, by virtue of the fact that I don't think they're going to be able to get him, get him to play that they the way that they want Ten Hag to play. Um, and if he's ill disciplined like the like he has been, it's going to really upset the balance, it's going to really put a lot of pressure on Ten Hag to try and manage one player when he's actually looking to implement a system and a way of playing, which is is going to really require the focus, but rather than trying to keep Ronaldo happy, which has seemed to have been Solskjaer's focus and has seemed to be at times been Ranić's focus. So, yeah, hopefully he goes, get some younger players in, get a bit of enthusiasm back. That's all I want to see. I don't want to see them fartising around and scoring no goals and looking like they're never going to score. Like just yeah, if they well. just just wants some good football, <laughs> yeah, just a bit of a bit of enthusiasm about the game. I don't like. I genuinely, I think this has been tested over the past nine years. Is that I don't genuinely don't mind if 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 they lose and they lose in the right way, but they very rarely lose in the right way. They lose in a way where they're almost throwing in it. the towel as soon as they concede a the goal, and okay. just. And almost like everything evaporates from all belief or belief in each other or willingness to put they put the hard yards in for the team. I'm sure that's not true, but that's just how it feels watching them mm. is it just like everything evacuates from them and they, it seems incapable of playing football, like literally to the point where they feel like they, like they can't control it and they can't pass it. It looks like they've not played football before sometimes. Mm. And, so yeah, just a basic level of ability, basic level of enthusiasm for the the game and the team, and a bit of a willingness to to risk some stuff and play in a bit of an exciting way. But Agreed. who knows?
0: Well, it'll be very interesting, you know, obviously we've got to get through this season still and see what the hell happens there. But I, don't, I doubt that Man United. Um, so on, on, here on this podcast, well, on this chat, rather, we've always said that, uh, you know, United would finish in the top four. Definitely changing that now. <laughs> uh, they, you know, Tottenham have probably got it. Uh, well, Tottenham or Arsenal, it could be quite a good race because they've got to play each other. Not that top four is like a huge achievement or anything, but uh, yeah, so we're we'll going through this season see where they're at. Hopefully, Ronaldo leaves, then I can be back on the United train, and it'll be quite nice, I think. So, uh, but yeah, looking forward to next season. Um, it'll be quite interesting no matter what happens, I think, to be honest with yes. you.
1: Yes, let's just hope Manchester United are being talked about for football rather than for everything else. It's mm-hmm. just boring, it's just. I mean, it's exciting. I'm sure it's interesting, exciting for other people. It just gets, and it is. It, I mean, we've had an interesting discussion today about what it's going to take for Ten Hag to be successful. But we've, but it's sometimes just you just just want to enjoy the football. Like the Manchester United, is, watching Manchester United play football is the least enjoyable aspect of supporting them at the minute, <laughs> and it should be. The opposite.
0: It should be the only important thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but the actual prospect of sitting down to watch Man United is just one that I can't countenance. Mm. Like i uh, playing okay. at three o'clock today or in days gone by I would have found a stream. I'm just not even gonna bother. No. Today.
0: I mean it's, yeah, it's Norwich. So you'd like to think that, you know. I mean, I'll check the score at half time and if it's nil nil, I might be like, bloody hell, I might have to turn this on just to see what the hell they're doing, you know. But <laughs>
1: Oh it will be that united United will struggle to score today. I'm telling you mm, was well, it they the,
0: start to just beat Burnley they're right, right up for it they can stay up still
1: Well, this is it, yeah, so this is this is where the basic level of enthusiasm and commitment comes in because if they've, if, they, if they've got that and United don't have it, then there's a good chance that United get beat, like they got beat. Remember when they lost to Cardiff and Cardiff were already relegated? I think that was a oh, loss. Last... Yeah, terrible, but they have yeah, really,
0: yeah. a go at Pogba. Like you know, the fans tried to have a go at Pogba. It's like, do you think it's literally just down to him? Like this is what yeah, it's a All fanship sometimes.
1: Uh, yeah, but it's it's one of those. I think he's he's just. They think I think there's a racialized dimension to the 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 criticism that Pogba gets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think like the, like the, the people. People talk about like him not running and him like not uh, strolling. Scott McTominay, if you watch Scott McTominay, he does exactly the same thing. He strolls about the pitch, doesn't bother getting in position, doesn't bother his ass showing for the ball. Papa shows for the ball. Scott McTominay strolls back. Do, 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 do. Oh, the midfielder I was meant to be marking is in front of me and having a shot on goal. How did that happen? Hmm. Um well, yeah. So, like, there is that racialised dimension, but it's one of those. It's because he's such an expensive player, and because he's really. And again, we've talked about like the structure not being in place to get the best out of him. The coach is not being there to get the best out of him. Um, but it all does come. To, it's it's difficult to think rationally in those moments where you've just been embarrassed by at home by a relegated team and someone like that is an easy target, particularly when I think Pogba would admit himself he probably. I mean, we've talked about all these external factors relating to his performance that have a negative influence on his performance. But I think he'll admit himself he's not played well enough when he has been given chances in the team, potentially playing in a position that works for him, being given the opportunity to play in such a way, in a, in a role that suits him. Yeah. And he just hasn't performed consistently enough. That being said, there's all those other influences as well. But yeah, with something like that. I can understand it a little bit more as a sort of a reaction thing, but yeah, like he's another one. I think I would have maybe last year I'd have said definitely keep Pogba. I just think it's better to just cut cut the losses now and well, then. So, well, but the, but the rumor was that they're trying to make him the, the highest paid player in the Premier League. But
0: yeah,
1: like, and that he might sign because I assume because there might be the other clubs might struggle to to pay him his wages. And that's, not, that's a danger there. I mean, he could, what we've said about Ten Hag in terms of the way which he approaches football, that could, it could work. Pogba could work in that team. Equally though, he could be a real problem. And if he doesn't play, he starts to become a problem again. It starts to become a story. It starts to become something that is, that is nothing to do with the football that mm. you have to manage. And it's, again, it's just, you want, don't want that, distraction mm-hmm. I
0: mean, do you think I, though that those stories come out regardless because it's man united because they're the bit one of the biggest clubs because it's clickbait everyone's interested like you know
1: do you think, think there is a i think there is a lack of discipline there i genuinely do because again i There are players who are not playing at Manchester City and there are also players who are not playing at Liverpool and you do not hear the same level story. And that's because they're successful. It's also because there's a a buy-in to what the the managers are doing and there's that expectation that you're playing for a team and that you're committed to the team. There's not that same expectation at Manchester United. There's an individualised approach to sort of looking after yourself and looking after number one. Mm. And... It's just a cult. It it seems to have become a cultural thing that that like as soon as Ferguson left, these leaks started to become more regular. They were often encouraged by the likes of Woodward, who was himself a serial leaker of just anything that he had to say. He'd invite journalists around to the boardroom and just chat shit. And then they'd report it. Like, So it's one of those things where it comes down to discipline and that's where you have to get sort of, I try and identify some of these sorts of these leaks, identify the players who are unhappy and move them on. Like it doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing. If there are players who are unhappy, who don't want to be there, whose commitment is wavering or they're like likely to kick up a fuss, if they don't play or if they, the manager plays in a way that doesn't exactly suit the way they want to play, get rid of them. It just, I'm just sick and tired of it. It's just, you can see it on the the pitch as well, and that's the most frustrating thing. It's not like they're getting unhappy and playing well. Regardless, they're getting unhappy and playing like shit. So if that's the, if that's their approach, then they shouldn't be there. Just don't bother. Like, but it's it's one thing th- it's one thing saying it; it's another thing doing it. And their proof will be in the pudding if if Ten Hag's given all of the things that we're saying, this shouldn't be a problem. But If he isn't and there's hangers on and there's players who are whingers or known to be whingers, still there, undermining him in the press, undermining him with leaks, then it's going to make the job a lot harder.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, regardless, we'll be watching, I'm sure. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, well, that was very, very interesting. Uh, You know, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, You know, that's um, our thoughts. Obviously, we will have potentially another special you know towards the end of the season and uh, you know summing up uh the, the whole season of man united but yeah that was uh, interesting so thank you very much for coming on andy and uh we'll we'll end it there so thank you very much
1: excellent thanks very
0: much harry all right cheers all right bye